USAA is proudly celebrating 100 years of serving the military community. It was a group of soldiers who launched USAA in 1922 by joining together to insure each other's vehicles when no one else would. Since then, USAA has grown to more than 13 million members strong. And through it all, one thing has remained. USAA is still serving the military community and their families. Find out more at USAA.com 100. All right, we have uh, Sal Katz Jr. here, works down at the Pueblo Center for Mount Carmel Veteran Service Center. Sal, you got a, a, an event coming up here on January 18th. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Absolutely, sir. Um, so I'm the director of Rural Colorado Services here, servicing uh, the over 13,000 veterans in Pueblo, Colorado. Our, we have a, a fundraising event called Salute to Heroes on Thursday, January 18th at Pueblo Community College. It's in honor of all our Puebloans veterans that are uh, have served served our country. Um, we have a uh, guest speaker who was also born and raised here, and her name is uh, United States Air Force Major General Retired Linda Oridia Varhall. So really um, a, a fantastic opportunity to uh, hear our a hometown hero besides our Medal of Honor recipients because we'll be honoring all veterans that are born and raised here in Pueblo. Great. So uh, you're, you have a few more seats to fill out there. Uh, where can people go to get to sign up? Absolutely. So we, my phone number here is 719-309-4719, or you can go to veteranscenter.org on our website uh, at Mark Carmel, just to give me a holler, and I will do a personal invite to you, and I'll do all the paperwork uh, needed for you to get inside here. Great. How much do those tickets cost? Well, the tickets are from $100 to $5,000. And uh, that money gets you into the doors. It gets you access to all the vendors. Uh, and what else What else comes with uh, the, the larger prices? Absolutely. So we also have uh, opportunities to sponsor tables, um, from marketing opportunities to guest speaker to um, even purchasing items uh, um, that the Pueblo community has brought together and in some silent auction items. So really all the uh, fundraising that we'll do, all the money will stay here in Pueblo in service of our veterans and family members here, um, which are from free massages, acupuncture, infrared sauna. We also have uh, two equine therapy programs and an art therapy program. Um, we have a transition and employment. And of course we have our um, partner, uh, the Department of Military and Veterans Affairs with our veteran service officer that helps support uh, service-connected disabilities. That's awesome. So uh, you hear that, listeners? All your money is going to go right back into uh, Mount Carmel Veterans Service Center and helping vets here in Pueblo, um, also here up in Colorado Springs and throughout the whole uh, Colorado region. So please come out, come to the event, check out what uh, Mount Carmel has to offer and uh, support your local veterans here. Sal, you got anything else? What uh, something? Anything else that's gonna to boast up this this event coming up, and uh, what what people are uh, gonna see when they come out there? Yeah, absolutely. So we have actually we have three World War II veterans that will be in attendance, and they were also born and raised in Pueblo. So we're really uh, we want to honor all veterans here in Pueblo. It's not just uh, the four Medal of Honor recipients that we have here. Because when you drink the water, it's very special in Pueblo. All veterans in here in Pueblo are special. And we, we just want to honor them from World War II, Korea, Vietnam, the global war on terror. Every veteran that we have the opportunity to salute, that's what we want to do. 
And it's just a, a, a big opportunity to be uh, very gracious and th thank you to the veterans here in Pueblo. Yeah, it's such an amazing community down there in Pueblo. Like you said, there's something in the water that that really, you know, makes people love the veteran community, be a part of the veteran community, and and more importantly, give back to the veteran community. So this is a great opportunity for anybody down there in Pueblo to, to get out to the event, give back, and uh, and learn a little bit too about what Mount Carmel can can do for everybody down there, and 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 raise some money. So awesome! I appreciate you, sir. Yeah, Sal, I really appreciate you coming on and promoting the uh, the event and, you know, working for Mount Carmel and everything you do. And uh, thank you for your service also. And thank you, sir. And hot. Welcome to the Veterans Voice presented by USAA. Veterans Voice is a service of Mount Carmel Veterans Service Center originating from the Optum Podcast Studio in partnership with podcast channel sponsor, Medicare Mentors, technology partner, Colorado Computer Support and supporting partner, the WireNet Home Services. Welcome to Veterans Voice Podcast, a service of Mount Carmel Veterans Service Center. Today, we'll be hearing from Rich Peters and Melanie Coletti to help our listeners understand what's happening with the digital access initiatives that are making internet and digital access easier and more equitable, particularly for our veterans population. Then we are excited to welcome Elevate Veterans, a nonprofit helping veterans transition to civilian life through non-standard means. Rich, Melanie, thank you guys so much for coming on the show. Super interesting about what you guys are doing because it's something that a lot of people don't think about is, is people not having access to internet, basic access. I mean, I've been around the world and I've seen third world countries and people are all walking around with cell phones and internet and everything. So, Melanie, can you, can you tell us a little bit about what you do for uh, CDLE, the uh, Digital Access Initiative? Absolutely. Yeah. I am the digital equity manager for the state of Colorado. And although I work out of the Department of Labor and Employment, I am focused on how digital access affects everybody in Colorado for, for any reason. So yeah, my team and I are overseeing the creation of the state's first digital access plan. And this was funded by the National Telecommunications and Information Administration, they oversee the funding from the IIJA, or you may have heard it called the Bipartisan Infrastructure Bill. So um, yeah, we're we're writing our plan now and, and looking for feedback, and that's part of why I'm here today. Great. How long have you guys been doing this for? Well, uh, brand new. I've been in my role for just over a year, and we have been working on creating the plan during that entire time. The funding, once we receive capacity funding, which should be about $20 million, we'll receive that at some point this year, probably in the fall, and then the funding will continue for five years. So we'll, we'll have five years to spend our $20 million. Wow, that's pretty awesome. That's a lot of money. That sounds because yeah. I mean, well, I mean, yeah, digital stuff is digital <laughs> access is not a, not cheap. So I imagine that's that's a good portion of it. So uh, do you, exactly. I, since you've been doing this for a year, and I'm sure you've been traveling around Colorado to to get feedback. Do you see a lot of a lot of veterans, especially uh, with this issue of, of no access? Yeah, um, veterans specifically responded to, so we did a digital access survey over the summer last year, and there are about, I think 6% of Colorado's population is, is identifying as veterans, and our survey had about 11% of our respondents identifying as veterans. And what's 
interesting about all of the populations we're really trying to reach is that they all intersect, right? So there are many veterans, and I grew up in Colorado Springs, so born and raised there. I know there are more veterans in El Paso County area than there are in other parts of the state. And they intersect with the other folks we're trying to reach, like older adults and people who identify as being racial or ethnic minorities, people Mm -hmm. who live in rural areas, um, people who are living in low-income households or who are disabled. So um, although we are trying to reach veterans specifically, we know that there are lots of these intersections happening with everyone across the state. Oh, I bet. I bet. Yeah. It's, I mean, homelessness and, uh, these kind mm-hmm. of access is not just a veterans problem. Uh, you know, it's, it's, there's definitely, I could see the wide array of people that just have little education on this kind of stuff. I'm sure. Um, Absolutely. And you know, my, my grandfather was a world war II veteran and he was not into using computers, but when I would come to visit him, he would always say, get out your brain. And I would <laughs> get my cell phone out and he would have me look up things that he was interested in. So I think, um, for a lot of people, they don't know what they're missing out on if they're not connected. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that naivety, I guess is, is probably one of you guys probably biggest uphill battles. I'd, I'd say, um, how, how did you find yourself in this position? You, you just mentioned your grandfather was world war II, and you know, you were the one that was the digital, the the access for him specifically. Right. Is that is that one of your, your pathways to what you're doing now? Absolutely. Um, I was in public libraries for about 17 years prior to being hired in this role. And I was the first librarian hired to the technology center at the Denver Public Library um, when we received some BTOP funding, that was another funding initiative for digital inclusion, and the library received about 127 computers, and we started teaching digital uh, skills classes, and I thought that at some point in my career, people would stop needing help learning to use basic internet tools, um, and it never really slowed down. Um, even my last year I was working at the University Hills Library, which is in Southeast Denver, and there are a lot of older adults there and lots of people came in and asked for help with computers, iPads, their cell phones, and not just older adults, but all kinds of people. Um, so the need is still there and that really sort of lit a fire under me. So when this position posted, I knew that it was something that I'd be really interested in kind of, you know, spreading this funding out to yeah. as many people as possible rather than being in, in one specific space in Denver. Yeah. And that's pretty wild. Like, like I said before, it, you know, I've been to third world countries and every single person you see has a cell phone, they pop it out when they're, they're bored. And, and so you just don't, people don't think of this as a, as a huge problem until you really dive into it. So it's great. You guys are coming on the show here and, and great that, you guys are pushing this out there to get, get these people access to, you know, especially that VA, everything is online now. Um, right. but if I, you guys take, I'm sorry, I got to take one second here. Uh, I got to read my, uh, to all of our supporters and sponsors out here. Um, so just give me two seconds here. Optum Colorado veterans voice is produced in the Optum podcast studio, Optum Colorado and mountain view medical group, part of Optum offer 20 clinics throughout Pike, the Pikes peak region, Their primary and specialty care doctors provide quality, patient-centered care backed by Optum's industry-leading health services and technology. 
Optum is dedicated to helping our community live healthier while keeping care affordable. Visit OptumCare.com slash Colorado to learn more and schedule your appointment today. Medicare Mentors. When it's time to consider your Medicare options, it's time to talk with Medicare Mentors. Medicare Mentors, powered by Spark, is veteran-owned, a long-standing Mount Carmel Veterans Service Center partner and the Veterans Voice podcast channel provider. More than that, they go above and beyond to make sure that when you need them, they're there lending a helping hand. Medicare Mentors, powered by Spark, always above and beyond. Visit MedicareMentorsLLC.com for more information. All right, we're back here with uh, Melanie and Rich. Uh, Rich, I'm going to switch over to you now, uh, if you don't mind, ask you some questions. So how do you find yourself in this position, and, and what, do you, what do you do for uh, the CDLE? As far as the uh, uh, digital access plan, uh, I've been asked by Mon Carmel to serve as a facilitator. Uh, my background, uh, I've spent over 30 years in the IT business, 20 years on active duty in the Air Force and 16 years as a defense contractor. And to piggyback on what Melly said, um, we have some commonalities because my dad was a World War II vet awesome. and my I worked at the Pikes Peak Library District for the last six years running their IT department. And uh, Melody can probably uh, contribute to the fact that during COVID we found out exactly uh, what was going on with the people or underserved communities that really needed access to the internet. For example, if you were unemployed, you had to fill out the forms and submit them. So libraries were one of the areas that people could go to for services and stuff. So this particular access plan, as Mel Melanie had uh, explained, provides additional funding so that we can provide services to those communities that are identified in support of the plan, one of them being the veteran community. And I've seen, um, to Melanie's point, I've worked at the uh, Disabled American Veteran Chapter. Uh, I watch older veterans that have a challenge as far as accessing digital services, and they're having to fill out forms uh, paper and pencil or paper and pen as far as doing their applications. So uh, I think it's a wonderful opportunity to take advantage of this program to provide the services to the affected communities that are contained in the plan. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess that that tie with the library, you know, and you bringing up COVID, that's, I mean, they couldn't go anywhere. You know, everything was shut down, everything. So you guys had, like, first line access to watching these people come in and, and get on. And was there an issue? I mean, with the COVID going on, were you having to limit people that were coming in? I mean, were you then having to turn people away from actually getting access to it at that point? Um, at, at Denver public library, we were completely shut down for several months and then we opened with, um, curbside services or in, in the branch that I worked in, people could come up to a door and we could speak to them through a doorway, but they weren't coming into the branch. So yeah, this was, this was really tough because, you know, like people not being able to come into the branch meant that they didn't have access to the computers. Um, I, you know, we at Denver Public Library, they do have wireless all the time. So even if someone needed to connect 
do the wireless at night. They could come to the parking lot or, you know, something like that. But for people who didn't have devices, that was still problematic. So um, at one point, the Central Library downtown was having outside tech help services, which I thought was was pretty cool. Um, you know, they had heaters set up and things for, for colder days. But, um, yeah, it's really important for people to have that access in their mm-hmm. homes. Um, and COVID really highlighted that. Yeah, wow. Richard, you see the same thing down here in the Springs? Yes, I think collectively the libraries saw it as their mission to provide services during COVID. In fact, uh, the CEO of the library district at that time was John Spears, and that was my number one priority was to keep the wireless uh, up and operational. Mm -hmm. But I had to explain to the boss that the wireless service that was being provided was as a result of residual activities because uh, radio waves go a certain distance, and that's mm-hmm. it, based on the equipment that you have. And what was happening was there were services out into the parking lot, but it was marginal at best. Yeah. So there were initiatives that were put in place to try to expand the coverage at, um, so that we would be able to provide those services beyond the perimeter of the library property. So that was a real challenge. And... Uh, Providing services to folks, for example, who were unemployed and they had to fill out their forms and submit their forms because mm-hmm. a lot of the stuff had to still be submitted either by fax, et cetera. So the library staff uh, did what they could to uh, provide the forms and then also help in the processing of the forms. Wow. So would you guys, would you both say that that was the number one issue for the library, the number one thing that you're seeing people for, do you think that's still true to this day is the number, like the big amount of people that go into libraries aren't going there to get books. They're going there to get access to, to Wi-Fi, internet. From my perspective, I, I, that's a truism, especially for the communities are, that are being served as far as a digital access plan is concerned. The veterans being one of them uh, go to the library. Uh, a lot of, you know, we have, as Melanie mentioned, intersectional communities of interest. For example, we have homeless veterans. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times they'll show up at the library, use the services there that are provided, which is the digital services. So what we want to try to do through the uh, Colorado Digital Access Plan is to widen that reach Mm -hmm. so that we can go into, for example, rural areas that have older communities of interest. And within those communities, they have veterans there also too. I'll use as an example, I know of a friend whose son served in the Marines, and he has uh, illness, and he just wants to be left alone. So he's out in a rural area, very limited access as far as Internet access, and yet he has disabilities that requires him to interact with the VA, Mm -hmm. Veterans Administration. As a result, um, he's one of the communities that we want to try to see what can be done to help he w- lives in a rural area, has a mm-hmm. disability, and needs access to internet services just to um, make medical appointments. The VA, I know because I'm also a disabled vet, um, has gone to virtual services. So you couple the fact that virtual services is a reality, how much of our communities are not able to take advantage of those services because they either don't have the hardware, computer skills, or the internet access. Mm -hmm. And that's what the, um, I'm very excited in the work that Melanie's doing because through the $20 million funding per 
potentially we can overcome some of those gaps. Mm-hmm. So what does that look like? So you you have your friend whose son is, you know, out in the woods, off the grid, which I, you know, we got a lot of buddies that when they get out of the military, special forces guys are like, I'm out, <laughs> leave. And, and, <laughs> and, but then I, you know, they might not realize that when they get out there. But so what does that look like helping that individual? For example, if that individual is like, I'll use this example, maybe an hour or two away from his nearest digital access, which could be a public library or a government building. What we want to try to do is see what can be done to provide or expand services out into the rural areas. Mm-hmm. Um, First hand experience here in El Paso County, uh, the further east you go, the less services you have. <laughs> and the service that you do get, you have to, it comes at a cost and it's yeah. very costly. So um, I look at the positives as far as the uh, digital access plan to provide those types of services out into the rural areas <laughs> because uh, one of my tasks when I was working for the library was expanding services out into the Callahan area. And it was the one limiting factor we had going out there was uh, lack of uh, fiber and lack of high-speed digital access. So that's a community problem. What Within that community, um, you have veterans and you have, uh, as Melanie uh, explained older veterans that also live out there. Mm-hmm. So I think it's uh, great that potentially the uh, digital access plan will provide increased services out into those areas because the commercial market doesn't go out there unless there is a cost uh, benefit for them mm-hmm. to do that. And that's the hard part uh, living in the rural areas is that uh, it's very difficult to get vendors to show up. Yeah, it's just not cost effective right. for them. And if you have yeah. to connect it, they may have a point of presence or a pedestal nearby, but it's that what we call the last mile that costs you a lot to yeah. get installed. So we need to start thinking about thinking outside of the box and how to deliver those uh, services. I know that uh, satellite communication sometimes is available into the rural areas, mm-hmm. um, but those are things that have to be looked at depending on need and resources. Yeah, that was my next question of, you know, satellite. Um, Would that be a possibility in the future for you guys to be like, oh, okay, we have a veteran that's out there middle of nowhere. Here's a satellite. Like here is here is your your access or put a satellite in the middle of a group of people say, is that kind of an idea that you guys are possibly going to venture into? Yeah, yeah. The Colorado Broadband Office. So just a point of clarification, too, I would say is that the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act has all kinds of components in it. Um, it's It has things like traditional infrastructure, like you think about roads and bridges and things like that. And then there's also, you know, within that, um, several other opportunities. And one of those is the broadband equity access and deployment funding that's coming to the Colorado Broadband Office. So they are specifically focused on building out fiber and providing connectivity to folks across the state. Um, you mentioned that we probably traveled all over the state recently in the <laughs> year that I've been here, and that is absolutely true. And there are many, many people who are what we call underserved, meaning they have connectivity, but it's not robust enough for them to do things like go to a telehealth appointment or work from home. So um, that's a big 
task that the Colorado Broadband Office is working on in parallel to the work that we do. So the governor is trying to get 99% of people connected with um, all of the available funding to build broadband infrastructure. And then my team is more focused on getting the devices, making sure that people know how to use them, and making sure that they can afford to connect to the internet if they choose to. Um, so those two things have to work together really well in order for people to get the service that they need. Wow. So, so it's, yeah, it's not just it's not just getting the access. It's teaching the access. It's there's it's definitely a big task ahead of you guys. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it is really impressive, though. The state of Colorado is receiving about almost a billion dollars for that broadband infrastructure. Um, Colorado is interesting geographically because there are lots of areas, as we know, that are like granite and it's really hard to dig and install fiber. Right. So and then there's like um, wide open spaces as well, where it would be really expensive to build miles and miles and miles of fiber to maybe two or three homes. So um, I think we're unique compared to some states in the way that the broadband office will have to be really creative about finding the right solutions to get people connected. You're listening to The Veteran's Voice, presented by USAA in partnership with Optum, Medicare Mentors, Colorado Computer Support, and the WireNet Home Services. That's awesome. I mean, that's every time you guys say something, I'm like kind of blown away of like how you got into this, how you got got to this point and then how you guys are tackling this problem and then realizing, you know, it seems like as you guys go on, the problem just gets bigger and bigger and bigger as opposed to like you said, Melanie, you're helping people out. This problem should go away at some point. But then once you start digging in, you're like, well, no, this is a lot worse than what we thought it was. Uh, so were you, yeah. two, were you, you guys were brought on in the very beginning of this, this whole process, Rich, you were a little bit later in Melanie, you said you've been doing this for about a year. Were you brought in in the very beginning of this? Uh, yeah, yeah. Our office hired, uh, posted for this position specifically to oversee this funding that was coming, but the office had done some work before that, you know, they were convening stakeholders from across the state to start to talk about what needs to happen in Colorado to get people connected. So that work happened before I even came on. And then once we had an idea of of when the money would arrive and, and what we needed to do to fulfill the requirements of, of the funding, uh, we started to think about what strategies would work. And so um, when the listening sessions take place, we'll have about 24 listening sessions, including I'm actually doing one virtually later today. Mm-hmm. If anybody feels like joining, <laughs> um, we'll, we'll talk about each of the strategies that the state is intending to use and then ask for feedback from people. Um, we want to know what they think might go wrong with these strategies or was there something that maybe we overlooked? Um, and even thinking about are there other organizations that the state should work with to make sure that these strategies actually work? So the problem you guys are facing is, is lack of digital access. Um, but obviously we're talking about this on a podcast. <laughs> so it's, it's a digital. Uh, where do people go and how do people explain to other pe- others that 
This is this is a something that we're working on. There's something to help. There's something out there to help you. Where do people go to figure this out? Yeah. So um, this is was part of what we were thinking about when we did our survey as well. Obviously, most people responded digitally because lots of people are connected, thankfully. Um, but we also contracted with th- 23 community-based organizations who then outreached their own communities and reached out to the people that they were already serving. And we tried to make sure that we worked with organizations who are already serving all of the people that we mentioned, you know, folks in rural areas, people who have been just as involved, older adults. And we're doing the same thing with these listening sessions. So we have about, I think, 23 or 24 listening sessions happening. And similarly, we're working with those community-based organizations who are going to be able to invite the people to these in-person sessions to share their feedback. Now, obviously, we also have online opportunities as well. We have um, summaries of our plan and opportunities to comment in 11 languages. Um, we have the the plan itself is about 135 pages right now. And I mean, I probably won't read it again once it's finished. Um, <laughs> so I don't expect other people to either. So that's why we summarize the plan in a way that people can kind of get a sense of what we're doing and ask questions and um, contribute yeah, in making, that way. Making government language palatable is pretty a pretty taf, tough task on its own. <laughs> Agree. <laughs> as far as I want to thank Melanie for reaching out to Mont Carmel and Paul Price for providing the opportunity for the veterans here that live in El Paso County to take a look at the plan and, and um, input into the plan. I think it's uh, the the opportunity is great because we have, uh, I think, the highest concentration of veterans that live here mm-hmm. in El Paso County within the state. By, so by, a, good, by a good ways. <laughs> there, is a, there is a network of veteran organizations that we intend to reach out to to publicize the event and try to get feedback and actually have the session on the 19th of January, but also provide uh, abilities for folks to access the plan, digitally at this point and review and then provide comments. We understand that there is a community that, like for example in rural areas, but we want to work with our veteran service organizations Mm -hmm. to see, because they they work with these uh, veterans on a, a daily basis and as a result they can tell us the challenges that they have, communicating with them, having them complete forms, et cetera, or if they actually have to come into a, a brick and mortar office to get paperwork filed. So those are all type of uh, challenges that the veteran community face. And by reviewing the plan, we'll be looking at other veteran inputs and ensuring that it's executable uh, as far as the plan is concerned. And then look at, as Melanie had mentioned, the broad branch strategic plan, because I do know, for example, that El Paso County does have one. So you got government entities that have plans, and we want to try to see how they can be influenced to help all communities and veterans in particular. Amazing. That's awesome. Is there a website or something people can look up to, to if they're, you know, you have the reading people, the people, not the, sorry, sure, that's not bad. Sure. The, you have the people that are visual that want to see something. Is, sorry, go ahead. What's that? Uh, you just have the people that, that want to see something. And so is there a website or phone numbers or things that people can call or go on to just get a little bit more information? Absolutely. Our Colorado Digital Access Plan webpage um, contains the plan, 
all the locations where listening sessions are taking place with dates and times and available languages. We also have digital equity uh, stakeholder meetings, which people can log into via Zoom or call into the Zoom call using their phones. Um, but everything is on that webpage, which is cdle.colorado.gov slash digital dash access. Awesome. Please, um, can you do that, say that yeah. for me one more, say that for me one more time. Sure. It's cdle.colorado.gov slash digital dash access. Awesome. Uh, Melanie Rich, do you guys have anything else you want to, to tell the uh, listeners about, about the digital access plan right now? As far as uh, Mont Carmel execution of the listening session, we have plans in place to outreach to the veteran community, um, use existing infrastructure that Mont Carmel has to not only distribute the information that's uh, for review, but also solicit feedback. So those are all things that we are working and more to follow. Awesome. Awesome. Well, awesome. And I, I would just like to say too, that this is not the end. Um, our team is really, really committed to hearing from people and really understanding what people's needs and wants are. And so even though the public comment session will end on January 19th, we've been working really hard all year to make sure that people always feel like, um, they can let us know what's going on in their communities. And I would just say to you, like our primary strategy um, for helping to alleviate some of these problems is to form digital inclusion coalitions. And so as coalitions, um, for example, like in Colorado Springs, they're already doing a bunch of digital inclusion work. Feel free to reach out to those community organizations and ask them to participate and make sure that your voices are heard that way. Um, and we also have a web address on our website if you want to send us an email. Um, I'm happy to also speak to people or groups um, if, if folks are interested. So, Yeah, listeners out there, if you guys are interested, if, if you want to be part of solving this issue, if you have family members, if you have friends um, that that don't have this access, you got to speak up because we need that. We need that input. We, you have to have the data to be able to fix the issue. Right. So everybody out there is listening. If, if you want to help you come in, go to the website, come into Mount Carmel, uh, send the people into Mount Carmel. If we have the services here, we can teach people how to use these things just like the library does. So, so I've become to my, my favorite part of the show and sorry, I didn't explain this to you guys before, but my, my catchphrase, I guess, for lack of a better term, is uh, tell me a story. So this can be a funny story. It could be about your military time, Rich, Melanie. It could be about just anything that's that's happened about the the whole CDL or the CDLE and the digital digital access. But something to connect with the listeners. Uh, something that's you know it could be funny. It could be serious. It can get your point across of what you guys are talking about. I love it. <laughs> Yeah, my story is, as I mentioned, I, I was born and raised in, in Colorado Springs, and my family all played accordion. Um, and so when I was four years old, I started playing accordion, and the place where my parents were accordion teachers was right next door to my grandpa's house. And, and he's the, the World War II vet that I mentioned earlier. So he 
loved us playing the accordion and we would all bring our accordions over to his house as he got older and play Christmas songs for him during the whole day. Um, But he used to say, I worked in Alaska for a short time and he used to say that he would get me a monkey so that I could go to Alaska and instead of doing the work I was doing there, um, I could play accordion on the streets and put out a hat for money. So, um, yeah, that's, that's my story. That's awesome. <laughs> Do you have a monkey now? <laughs> I don't. I still don't have a monkey. I have two dogs and a cat, but, but no monkey. <laughs> Rich, what do you got for me? <laughs> well... Um, <laughs> I recently participated in Wreaths Across America at the, up at the Air Force Academy. And I think that the education part of the story is this. I took my two um, grandchildren and their uh, great-grandfathers, grandmothers, all had military service. As I mentioned, my dad was a World War II vet. Um, well, and my uh, uh, wife's dad served in World War II also. But educating the younger generation, children coming up about the history behind service to country and veterans, et cetera, was an eye-opener for them as we placed the wreaths across all the various uh, tombstones that were there at the Air Force Academy. It was a pretty moving event, and I think that it's part of the education. And I re- the reason why I tie it in is because we're losing the greatest generation, the folks in World War II. The Veterans 100%. Administration, they have uh, set up a way to capture their history. So we need the digital access so we can get the stories of all our veterans captured so that they'll live in posterity mm-hmm. for future generations. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's a very mm, good point. I um, love that. Yeah, it's very good point. It's, I feel like that's probably your biggest demographic is the older the older community. Right. Um, so thank you for sharing. That's awesome. I know it was a long time ago, but tell me the feeling you felt the first time you jumped out of an airplane. <laughs> well, um, it was an interesting experience in going down to Fort Bragg uh, as an Air Force. I was, I was at the Air Force Academy, so I went down to Fort Bragg as one of my summer programs. But I was more impressed with the folks I was uh, jumping with. For example, um, here I am in the airplane going out for my first jump, and the guy next to me was a uh, enlisted soldier who had just got through basic training. And he looks at me with these big eyes and he goes, wow, how many jump in, out of an airplane? I've never been in an airplane. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, the first time in you're jumping out. Right. So it wasn't my experience, but, you know, and then you, you can say something about rural America, you yeah. know, it's. It's uh, folks uh, back then, this was like in 1977, but the issue is he had not been in an airplane. And then if you extrapolate it to the digital divide, there are people out there that probably don't have the access that we assume, et cetera. It's like jumping out of the plane the first time, you know? (laughs) Yeah, for sure. That's awesome. Well, thank you, thank you both so much for coming on today. Thank, like I said, thank you for what you're doing. Uh, the next listening session is January 19th. Uh, go to the website, uh, come into Mount Carmel if you want to know more about the this initiative and what Rich and Melanie are doing. So, thank you both for what you guys do, and thank, thank you for you. coming. And thank yeah. you for coming on the show. Thank you so much. Thank you. You've been listening to the Veterans Voice, presented by USAA. 
Veterans Voice is a service of Mount Carmel Veterans Service Center and originates from the Optum Podcast Studio located on the Mount Carmel Veterans Service Center campus in Colorado Springs, Colorado. The podcast channel is provided by Medicare Mentors. Computing Power is provided by Technology Partner Colorado Computer Support. Additional funding is provided by Supporting Partner The Wire Nut Home Services. Veterans Voice airs on flagship station KRDO News Radio Sundays at 7.30 a.m. The podcast publishes Saturday at 8 a.m. and is available on all your favorite podcast apps.